this is Emily. And this is Bridget. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. of today's show, I want to share a little bit of personal news. It is obviously very sad and devastating to me on so many levels that Bridget and I's magic won't continue on, but I'm confident that Bridget Todd is going to carry the baton forward for Stuff Mom Never Told You with new hosts in a fabulous fashion. But I'm actually heading on to start my own show, which you can now find and subscribe to in Apple Podcasts. So Search for Bossed Up, that's B-O-S-S-E-D as in dog, and then U-P as in the direction up. (laughs) Find Bossed Up in Apple Podcasts now. You can listen to a preview trailer that I've put out there that tells you all about the show I'll be leaving to do. So that's premiering March 1st, and I hope you will join me there, Sminty listeners, especially if you are looking for career advice. But today's podcast topic, not so happy, not so uplifting, not at all bossed up. And first of all, we have to state a trigger warning to those who are sensitive about issues relating to intimate partner violence, domestic abuse. Today, we have to talk about the kinds of abusers who are in our White House. So major Trump alerts ahead. It's been a little while. Yeah. Because we've had some Trump alerts. It's been a nice break from talking about it, <laughs> to be honest. I know. We've just sort of ignored the disaster after disaster that he's been a part of. But not today. <laughs> not today's Mindy listeners. Today we are talking about domestic violence in our house, our White House. After all, this is our government. This is our taxpayer-funded staff who are being hired to run things in our nation's capital in the White House. So let's break this issue down. Who is Rob Porter? Well, you may have heard his name before. He was Trump's secretary. And basically, he has been accused of awful, awful domestic violence against women. And it seems like this is a situation where people knew this was happening. And rather than sounding the alarm bells and doing something, instead, they chose to protect him. Exactly. So the domestic violence in and of itself is pretty horrifying. And we're going to talk more about that in a second. But the story that's turned this into a scandal really pertains to how the Trump administration responded to the news or when they knew about this news or when they discovered that one of their impending hires had a seriously messed up past and what they decided to do about it. In the Washington Post, Colby Holderness, Rob Porter's first ex-wife, describes a time when Rob Porter's now ex-girlfriend had actually reached out to both her And Jenny Willoughby, Rob Porter's second ex-wife, on Facebook, asking for advice for how to extricate herself from this relationship that had turned, in many ways, abusive. She ends her description by saying, am I crazy? Which, if you are a woman dating someone who reaches out to that someone's two ex-wives for confirmation that you're not crazy, that's a pretty dramatic cry for help. Yeah, that's a grim situation. And honestly, what it really does illustrate is the way that women often create these networks of support reaching out when they're in these abusive situations. And so I'm happy that she felt like she could reach out to them to get some support. But I'm so sad and angry that she was in that position in the first place. Absolutely. Colby Holderness describes to the Daily Mail how Rob was angry because we weren't having sex when he wanted to have sex on their honeymoon, mind you. This is when the abuse physically started. Oh, my God. And so he kicked her. She writes, this was the first time he hurt me, and then the doors opened. I didn't do anything, and it continued. 
And she goes on to describe in the Daily Mail a few really disturbing forms of abuse, including him getting into screaming matches with her. And granted, she would scream back at him, but then the fights turned physical in ways like he would jab her with his limbs, like elbows, to sort of emphasize what he was yelling to her about. Once he grabbed her out of the shower, she had walked away, disengaged with the fight to take a shower, and he pulled her out of the shower, yanking her by her shoulders, only to be kind of alarmed at what he had done and to apologize profusely. And it culminated in this photo that apparently Porter himself took. She says she made him take it. Wow. Of her black eye that he'd given her. Yeah, that photo was pretty alarming. I also think it's worth noting that he he waited to introduce physical violence into their relationship on their honeymoon. So A once, pattern that was repeated, by the way, yes. on his second marriage. So clearly this was part of his pattern of abusive behavior, of getting these women to feel that they were locked in, they couldn't leave, we we're married, all of that, and really introducing physical violence at that moment. And to me, that just that just seems so clearly the pattern of a serial abuser. It's really disturbing. These are the kinds of behaviors that Holderness reports started happening after marriage. This included things like throwing her on the bed and forcefully pushing one of his limbs into her body in anger and choking her. She writes, quote, the thing he would do most frequently is he would throw me down on a bed and he would just put his body weight on top of me and he'd be yelling at me. But as he was yelling, he'd be grinding an elbow or knee into my body to emphasize his anger. Jesus. I mean, that sounds like someone who really cannot control their rage, that they can't have a conversation about something. The only way they can get anything across is through these physically violent expressions of rage. Like This is just not someone who should be in the White House is really what it comes down to. Yeah. Well, it just goes to show you, A, this is behavior that we shouldn't condone anywhere, but B... This is the kind of behavior that should be flagged as a potential hire for any employer, but especially for our federal government. This is someone who's going to have access to national secrets. You know, this is supposed to be the best of the best. Absolutely. I also think it really highlights a way that we've been trained to think about domestic violence, where it's something between a couple. It's a it's a family issue. What happens in your home should stay in your home. But this just goes to show that that line of thinking isn't right. Someone who abuses their wives in the privacy of their own home cannot be trusted in public. That should be a public issue, particularly when they're in the White House, particularly when they have access to all kinds of sensitive information, but really in any capacity. I remember a story a few years ago when National Security Agency employees were caught using secret government surveillance tools to spy on the emails and phone calls of their current and former lovers. And I just think... When you have access to privileged information about everyday citizens, there needs to be an extra level of scrutiny and trust in terms of what you're going to do with that information. And I think that no matter where you work, if you have a history of domestic violence, that should be an issue. But specifically, especially if you're in the White House. Yeah. I mean, this is not an everyday job. This is why we have clearances for federal government workers, which we'll talk more about after this quick break, because the bigger story here, besides what this creepy violent, clearly unhinged man has done to many of the women in his life is how our government, how our leaders, how our White House responded to that knowledge and information. So let's get into that story after this quick break. 
Iguana first cite this great piece that Jenny Willoughby, one of Rob Porter's ex-wives, penned for Time magazine. She says, quote, on Friday, a friend and I watched as the president of the United States sat in the Oval Office and praised the work of my ex-husband, Rob Porter, and wished him future success. I can't say I was surprised. But when Donald Trump repeated twice that Rob declared his innocence, I was floored. What was his intent in emphasizing that point? My friend turned to me and said, the president of the United States just called you a liar. Yes, and so he did. And that was the beginning of the Rob Porter scandal, in my opinion, because the president of the United States decided when letting Rob Porter go, when signing off on his own self-penned resignation letter, to emphasize the potential of innocence here, that he said he's innocent, and to remind us all once again, women who speak out against violence against women, women who share their stories, who hashtag me to it up, aren't to be trusted. Now, this doesn't surprise me in the least. We know who Trump is. He's shown himself to us many, many times on many different levels. It's not surprising to me at all that he would get up on this huge public platform and essentially call the victims of domestic violence liars. Yeah. Doesn't surprise me at all. Exactly. But what does surprise me and what surprised a lot of members of the press was the almost calculated and calibrated messaging attack that the entire White House staff went on, including and especially their chief of staff, John F. Kelly, the guy who was supposedly brought in to be the grown up, to keep Trump from messing himself up, to try to, you know, steer the ship properly. And I want to turn it over now to Washington Post columnist Ruth Marcus to give us the rundown on why this behavior from John F. Kelly was especially surprising. Then General Kelly issued this remarkable and appalling statement describing Rob Porter as a man of true integrity and honor. A man of true integrity and honor? Go look at the photographs, the horrifying photographs of Rob Porter's first wife and the bruise under her eye. General Kelly, 13 hours, by the way, after that photograph came out, changed his assessment of Rob Porter, sort of, and announced that he was shocked. If he was shocked by the photograph, that's only because he didn't go check it out because she had given that photograph to the FBI, not this January, but last January. So just to reiterate, the FBI had images of what he had done to her allegedly seven days after the inauguration. So this wasn't something that they just found out, you know, that it's only now it has come to the surface. They've had some time to deal with this and process how they were going to respond. And this is what they chose to do. Exactly. So whether this White House is completely dysfunctional in terms of all personnel management, which is possible for sure, or had knowingly seen these photos and had knowingly looked past his abusive record and said, whatever, we don't care. We like Rob Porter. He's a man of true integrity and honor, as General Kelly said. Does it really matter? You know what I mean? Like, either this is a sign of mass dysfunction, which to me seems like a very plausible possibility, or they looked past spousal abuse because this is something that Donald Trump can relate to, quite frankly. Honestly, I think it's both. I think it's both that this is a chaotic, dysfunctional White House where nothing gets done and no one knows what anyone is doing and everyone is blaming everyone else for all of these missteps and everything is overlooked. 
And I also think they aren't particularly keen on taking domestic violence seriously because that implicates Donald Trump. And the more we talk about domestic violence, the more that keeps the issue in the consciousness of the American people, particularly women who are now having this big Me Too reckoning moment. And so I think it's both just complete ineptitude and also a conscious thing of we can't deal with this too loudly or make too much noise about this because that gets people thinking about the other creeps that are in the White House that that are not being kicked out, who probably should be. I was also especially disappointed to hear how the women of the Trump White House, not that I should expect more from them, but truly to hear how Kellyanne Conway and Sarah Huckabee Sanders dealt with this situation too. And granted, they were, they were following marching orders from General Kelly, but it shocked me to hear that Kellyanne Conway said, quote, I have no reason not to believe the statements that the victims who were speaking out, the ex-wives of Rob Porter, it's like the least helpful thing you could say while still plausibly coming across as being on their side. I mean, it doesn't sound like she's on their side. It's that saying, I have no reason not to believe them. To me, that's one step below saying you're a liar. What reason would she have not to believe them? They don't have this. They don't have a history of public lies. It's just such a weird thing to say that seems to suggest, oh, I believe you. Like, I bet Kellyanne Conway thought she was being very, you know, supportive. Diplomatic, yeah. <laughs> but it sounds, you know, it's like saying like, well, it would be like if I said, Emily, I have no reason to believe you stole my purse. It would be yeah. like, well, Thanks? of course you don't. Yeah. I've never stolen anything from you before. It would be a weird thing to say. Totally. But it gets worse. She goes on to say when she's on CNN's State of the Union, she was asked if she fears for the safety of White House Communications Director Hope Hicks, who was apparently dating Rob Porter, but two days ago, according to the news, is now not dating him. Not surprising, quite frankly. I would get out of that uh, headline relationship, too. And when asked if she should be worried about Hope Hicks, she said, and I quote, I've rarely met somebody so strong with such excellent instincts and loyalty and smarts. So therefore, she's not worried about Hope. As though the victims of domestic violence are not strong or, you know, strong, loyal, smart women can't become victims of domestic violence. Also, loyal is a weird thing to throw in there. Like, what is she trying to say? That's the Trump doctrine coming yeah, through. Yeah, she's very loyal. It's like, what does it have to do? What does loyalty have to do with being a victim of domestic violence? I don't know. This is such a weird thing to say. And again, all kinds of people, men, women, strong women, assertive women, women who are less assertive, Anybody can be the victim of domestic violence. It has nothing to do with any of these qualities. And her highlighting them as a reason why she wouldn't worry about Hope Hicks is just very bizarre. Exactly. The other thing that came out of Sarah Huckabee Sanders' mouth, which was jarring, but also says a lot, I think, about this administration, when explaining away or trying to explain away the allegations that they knew about Rob Porter's abusive background, didn't care, didn't do much about it, She was basically giving a press briefing, you know, explaining the timeline, explaining that they had taken action swiftly and went on to say, above all, the president supports victims of domestic violence and believes that everyone should be treated fairly and with due process. So (laughs) she can't just say the president completely rejects domestic violence. She can't just say that. Like the president himself, who, by the way, she later told the media He literally dictated that to me. So the president cannot in the same breath resist from saying, yeah, I support victims, but like 
also these guys who might be falsely accused are worthy of due process. So that's bullshit. <laughs> I find it fascinating that Trump is all of a sudden so invested in due process. This is a man that spent $85,000 of his own money taking out an ad condemning the youth involved in the Central Park Five jogger case. If you don't know what that is, basically in the late 80s, Trump really rose to political fame by taking out this ad saying, this is why we need to bring back the death penalty. These kids are guilty, blah, blah, blah. It turns out all of these youth were exonerated. They were all proven innocent by DNA evidence. They'd been pressured to say they were guilty and they weren't. To this day, Trump has never taken back what he said. And so he is someone who gleefully gets into the mix when it comes to condemning people without due process. He's been publicly proven wrong on that front time and time again. And so it's just very interesting to me that when it comes to this situation, he's all about reminding us about due process. But in so many other very public situations where nobody, frankly, even asked him what he thought, he felt the need to get in the mix. Well, think about how he launched his campaign. The very first press conference he held as he launched his campaign and made that renowned sort of escalator debut. <laughs> he basically called Mexicans rapists. So this is a man who is swift in condemning people who don't look like him as rapists, as abusers, as violent men. But, you know, he's swift to come to the defense of white men who've been accused of assault, like Roy Moore of Alabama. Exactly. I think with Trump, you really see a pattern of making it clear that he believes that if you're brown or black, you are an abuser, you cannot be rehabilitated, you should be you know, thrown in jail or criminalized, or we should build a wall to keep you out or deport you. But if you're a white guy, then you're an upstanding person. And it's interesting who he gives the benefit of the doubt, for whom these issues are just matters of the home, private matters, stay out of them, and for whom they become issues of national security. And it's clear that when it's a Latino or an African-American, it is an issue of national security, build the wall, more cops, blah, 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 death penalty. When it's a white guy, totally give him access to secret government files. He's fine. (laughs) He's white. Exactly. So he not only didn't denounce accused child molester Roy Moore, who ran for Senate in Alabama, he endorsed him. And before that, he defended Bill O'Reilly as a great guy and Roger Ailes, two men ousted from Fox News after it was revealed that they'd paid off millions of dollars in settlements to women who'd accused them of harassment and assault. And we have to give a shout out to our pal Liz Plank, friend of the show, who wrote an excellent, incisive piece for Elle magazine called When Donald Trump Protects a White Man Accused of Assault, He's Protecting Himself. It's a great piece. We'll include it in the show notes. And I want to talk more about the president's response directly to the Rob Porter scandal after this quick break. we're back. And we've been talking about why President Trump might be so quick to come to the defense of someone like Rob Porter, uh, perhaps because he reminds him of a younger him in many ways. And it's interesting to hear how Trump has changed his tune on the Rob Porter scandal as the news story about it has developed. Yeah, it's almost identical to what happened with the Roy Moore situation, where at first he didn't say much about it on the record, wouldn't really make a public comment on it. But then in the days that followed, would only respond by highlighting his pristine record and saying, oh, 
he's done a great job and blah, blah, blah. I think it really is a pattern of support for an abuser. And it shouldn't be surprising because creeps support other creeps. Totally. It took a whole week after the Rob Porter news really broke. Um, and after Rob Porter himself resigned for Trump to actually say on the record that he was, quote, totally opposed to domestic violence. And in response to people who were like, damn, that took a long time for you to come around and just say out loud. He basically turned the question back on his critics by saying, quote, I'm totally opposed to domestic violence of any kind. And everybody here knows that. And it almost wouldn't even have to be said. So now you hear it. But you all know, like you've known all along, like, screw you for making me have to say this. You've known this whole time. Don't tell me you didn't know that about me. Yeah, it really is gaslighting. We listen to him admit his own despicable acts against women, and then he's going to turn it around on us and be like, you guys know I champion women. Come on. You're crazy for thinking otherwise. Exactly. And honestly, it really reminds me of when people were calling on Trump to denounce Nazis. I didn't know we were in a situation now where, one publicly saying that you're against domestic violence, and two, publicly saying that you're against Nazis is all of a sudden a controversial thing (laughs) that we have to hold our breath to see if it's actually going to happen. Where I come from, domestic abusers and Nazis are squarely in the bad category, and there's not really a lot of gray area about it. Just see Indiana Jones. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And now we're in a new place where apparently asking the president of the United States to publicly denounce Nazis and abusers is tricky and it it involves more nuance than just saying, of course, they're awful. Next question. Yeah, well, not all Nazis. (laughs) Some are very fine people. Yeah, exactly. God. Yeah, it's really, you see who gets that Trump benefit of the doubt about being a fine person or a good worker or whatever, and it's white men. Yeah, it's not good. And I'm no psychologist, but it feels like maybe there's a little bit of projecting going on, a little bit of defensiveness that our commander-in-chief feels given his own record with domestic abuse. And honestly, we don't have time on a single podcast to review every horrifying thing Donald Trump has ever said about women. But I do want to draw our attention to an excerpt from uh, a book by former Texas Monthly and Newsweek reporter Harry Hurt III, which describes how things basically fell apart between Donald Trump and his ex-wife Ivana Trump. In this really harrowing scene in the book, Trump comes back home after painful scalp reduction surgery <laughs> to remove a bald spot. I'm sorry. I shouldn't laugh. I mean, it's, it's, it's absurd. It's an absurd. <laughs> this is an absurd situation. And apparently he was very mad at Ivana because Trump had used the same plastic surgeon that she had, or maybe like she recommended the doctor to him. And so he said, quote, your fucking doctor has ruined me. And according to reports, what followed was a violent assault, during which time Donald held back Ivana's arms, began to pull out fistfuls of hair from her scalp as if to mirror the pain that he felt from his own operation. He tore off her clothes and unzipped his pants. Quote, then he jams his penis inside her for the first time in more than 16 months. Ivana is terrified. It's a violent assault, Hurt writes. He goes on to say, quote, according to versions she repeats to some of her closest confidants, he raped me. That is harrowing. I have no trouble believing that that happened. And again, it goes to show why perhaps Trump 
doesn't want to come down on condemning these abusers too hard, why he does feel the need to say they're upstanding people because he's really saying it about himself. Yeah, a lot of that, I think, is happening here for sure. And we have to ask ourselves, you know, from a national security standpoint, from a national personnel standpoint, do we want taxpayer dollars to pay the salaries of people like Rob Porter? I mean, clearly not the majority of us wanted our taxpayer dollars to pay the salary of Donald Trump, but that's a different issue for now. There's an interesting security element here that comes into play. And granted, it's very nuanced, so we're paraphrasing here. But this is now something that our committees in the Senate and House are investigating because Rob Porter was not given a security clearance. He did not pass the vet. He didn't pass the background check, basically, to get the kind of clearance that most people in the White House need to get to be able to do their jobs. And so now six senators have asked Christopher Ray, the FBI director, for the names of other employees at the White House who were working, quote, without being able to obtain a permanent security clearance. When you look at the number of people in this administration who don't have permanent clearances, it is shocking. And actually, watchdog organizations agree. Citizens for Responsible and Ethics in Washington, otherwise known as CREW, has basically pointed out that the fact that high-level White House staffers, including folks like Jared Kushner, not having their permanent clearance sets a really dangerous precedent. Exactly. This whole idea of an interim clearance, which is the kind of clearance that somehow allowed Rob Porter to continue doing his job. It wasn't designed for that. It wasn't a workaround. It was really just intended for giving folks clearance for the first few weeks of the new president's administration while they were waiting for approval from the personnel security office. That's the office that receives all the background information from the FBI, determining whether officials should be cleared to have access to sensitive information. And as someone who has gone through this process, which, by the way, is hellish, When I was trying to join the Obama administration a few years back, let me tell you, if you are not able to get your permanent clearance, the assumption is not that, oh, you're probably fine. It's just a backlog, blah, blah, blah. The assumption is that something is up and that you shouldn't have that clearance. Right. And the fact that these people are running around the White House with temporary clearances probably fills anybody with any inside knowledge of that process with a lot of dread and fear, as it should. And now everybody's pointing to everybody else's office in the administration. It's really it's a real show, to be quite honest. The FBI is saying that they'd sent the White House a preliminary background report on Mr. Porter in March, so less than three months after the new administration took office. They sent them a full investigation in July and a more detailed accounting in November, closing its inquiry in January, so basically a year later. We don't know what's in those reports, but we do know that the FBI did a thorough investigation. Meanwhile, the White House says, We never got it. We might have gotten it, but we're going to not acknowledge getting it, saying that the security office, by the way, which the White House manages, it's the personnel security office under the administration, never made a final recommendation. A lot of folks are saying that this entire process is highly unusual and dangerous for people at Mr. Porter's level of access, of clearance, of responsibility to do their jobs indefinitely without the proper clearance. 
Well, Emily, all I have to say is, thank God there's not a woman in there checking her email on a private server, because that would have really <laughs> been soon. a dangerous situation. Can you imagine? Too soon. What a security <laughs> fail. I know. Oh, actually, fun fact, they are using private servers. So the whole thing is, the whole thing is just bananas. Oh, God. We could do a whole episode on that. And honestly, Sminty listeners, we have to keep our eye on this story because, and this is the most tragic part of how this story is ending, is as all of this is coming to a head, the pressure's on the White House. Sarah Huckabee Sanders is supposed to hold a press conference with the administration addressing these hard-hitting questions on Wednesday, but it gets postponed. And then all bets are off because the shooting in Parkland, Florida, completely changes the conversation and the news cycle. And as of right now, as of this recording, Friday, the administration just canceled it. The whole press briefing was scrapped. So this is my thing. I think the administration is counting on us to lose focus on this story. They're counting on us to have this story pushed out of our our consciousness as we move on to other important stories. And I think we can't let that happen. We owe it to not only these specific women who were victims of abuse, but to victims of abuse writ large everywhere. We owe it to the country to show that this is a serious issue. Think about all the people in your life who could be victims of domestic violence. You owe it to them to make sure that we hold abusers accountable. These are people that you probably see every day and don't even know. It's important that we not let this issue just fall by the wayside and we, you know, focus on something else. I think we really got to be intentional about holding these abusers accountable because they work for us. They're in our house. The White House isn't their playground to do with what they want and to fill with all kinds of creeps that they want. We have a say in this, and I think we have to make that clear. Minty listeners, what is your take? Send us a tweet at MomStuffPodcast. Hit us up on Instagram at StuffMomNeverToldYou. And as always, you can reach us via email at MomStuff at HowStuffWorks.com. Listener.